Welcome back to the Mission of Speed podcast. Today, I'm interviewing my big brother, Danny Speewalk, who's a very well-established and successful TV reporter. He's now based out of St. Paul, Minneapolis. In their market, he's working for Care 11, the NBC affiliate in Minneapolis. And overall, he's been an inspiration of mine, obviously, since I was a little kid. And being able to see his journalism career um, just unfold the way that it has has been incredibly inspiring. Everything from when he was in high school going into college where he wasn't just learning how to be a great TV reporter, but he was also at the time interviewing on sports radio shows. He was doing writing that led him to writing for professional websites that that led him to getting media credentials to different sporting events and doing a lot of stuff at a very young age where probably a lot of his peers were more focused on parties and other things. He was focused on developing his career. Well, fast forward several years later, he's well into his TV reporting career and had the inspiration to to write a book about the 1941 National Championship Minnesota Gophers football team. Our grandfather had a personal connection to that team. He was a, a member of the of the Gophers and and played for the school there. And after that season, for for those of you that don't know, that was when Pearl Harbor had hit uh, and everything changed. So they went from the top of football to the Heisman Trophy winner going off to the war, and he actually ended up winning a, a Purple Heart in the process. And so. The Danny's interest for writing um, has always been there, but it, it really kind of um, blossomed when he was actually able to actually get published by a very notable company um, that, that has uh, focused on kind of that nonfiction sports uh, sports writing. And now he's actually coming out with another book, which is going to be, uh, we'll share a little bit about it, but we'll share more in, in the coming months. But it's about Charles Pete, who was a St. Louis Cardinals baseball player. He was one of the first African-American Cardinals players. Actually, I think we read he was going to be the first African-American player to start for the Cardinals, but he had lost his life early on in his professional baseball career in the MLB uh, when his plane crashed as he and his family were traveling for Winter League Baseball. So it was a very just a life cut short, as Danny mentions, and part of the part of the title to the book. But what I think is so fascinating about the book is just that there's not a lot on this guy at all. You really can't find much of anything anywhere. So Danny putting on the Danny thinking cap that he always has. He went and interviewed members of the community that he grew that Charles had grown up in. And it also uh, just found out as much as he could through the St. Louis Cardinals Baseball Hall of Fame and also the Hall of Fame through Cooperstown and did a lot of research and will be coming out with this book in March. So hoping to have him again on the podcast in person. But this episode is just going to cover all of Danny's, uh, I would say, success and the way he's navigated his entire journalist career, but also highlights just some of the fun things that he has been able to do outside of just his job as a TV reporter. And then we'll dive a little bit into some old St. Louis Rams football to commiserate to end the episode. So excited. And as always, if you're interested in, in hearing more Mission of Speed podcast content, please do hit subscribe. And it would be great if you guys could leave a review. Five stars is always obviously preferable. But if you want to actually leave a comment on this episode and, and share why you liked it and, and why you're excited about Danny's book coming out, it'd be very appreciated. As a little brother, I'm trying to brag as much as I can about Danny and trying to get that out there so we can sell as many copies as it can when it comes out. So as always, thanks so much and let's dive into the episode.
Welcome back to the Mission of Speed podcast. Today, I am interviewing my my big brother, Danny Speewalk. Danny, it's great to have you on the show, man. This is, I think, the first time I've ever had you on my podcast. So welcome. Yeah, thanks, Mark. This is a big honor for me. This is I've been waiting my whole life to be on this. So thank you. That's that's a high compliment. And so Danny's <laughs> background is Danny Danny's in the in the news industry. He's a television reporter. He's been in the markets of Buffalo, New York, and now in Minneapolis and Minnesota and St. Paul. He's been on radio. He's done a lot of different stuff. And so, uh, but I would say probably the most notable thing that he's done so far in his journalism career is appear on my podcast. For sure. It doesn't get any higher than this. This is the highest <laughs> level. And there, there will be no beating this. Yeah, it's it's the peak to it. So, uh, yeah. I, well, I'm excited to have you on because I think what really caught my interest in wanting to interview you was um, to talk about just the, the writing that you've done recently. Obviously, you've had this really extensive background in, in news reporting and have had multiple awards that have come through that and have been really successful. But throughout your journalistic career, you've also picked up kind of a side gig hobby, per se, um, of writing that's led you to being actually published as an author. And I think that's just such a such a cool and a inspiring thing for a lot of people, probably, especially those students maybe at the University of Missouri Journalism School or Illinois or Syracuse who are kind of aspiring to be news reporters, but also giving them that, that inspiration that they can be more versatile um, outside of just their standard reporting. Yeah. And it's been really fun to like, it's kind of been a, a cool process, you know, like when I did my first book, like however many years I started that, however many years ago that was, it was kind of like a, a complete unknown and didn't know what I was doing. And then it just kind of kept building on itself. So it's been, uh, it's been really fun. Well, so take me back. So many, many years ago, um, you were in high school here in St. Louis and you were very passionate about sports, sports media. I think you did everything from TV to being obviously leading you to that internship with ESPN radio, doing different stuff there. But what's, what, what has your career been like and how, how have you gotten to where you've gotten to? I just think a lot of people would be very interested to kind of hear the full circle come together. Yeah, it really does start. It starts early when we were in high school. I think you and me were on the same at the same time on the paper writing about sports and just doing whether it was newspaper or then obviously TV, the kind of those two things together. Those were always kind of two of my favorite classes or extracurriculars because they were kind of different, but similar in the same way. So it was journalism, it was stories, writing, storytelling. But I got to do kind of the written side with the paper and writing about whatever sports was happening in our school or locally with the Cardinals, Mizzou, Blues, Rams at the time. And then doing broadcast TV and kind of getting to do the visuals and then getting into radio a little bit with just kind of working on the radio at night after um, after school was done on a late night radio show with sports. There's all that stuff kind of together when I went to college at Mizzou. I just kind of kept building on some of those skills and then found that with like my career that I went into television, even though I liked all three, whether it was print writing, radio or TV, just kind of ended up going into sort of the news reporting side just because I felt like as much as I loved covering sports and I still did a lot of covering sports on the side, I don't know, I just found wanting to do news a little bit more as my job because I felt like for some reason it just felt like being a sports fan was a fun thing to do and not to have that pressure of it being your job. And so I really got into covering politics, covering hard news and kind of fell into that. And that took me into Buffalo, New York, and then now Minneapolis. 
And throughout those years, you were able to kind of use the hobby of writing or the hobby of the sports talk radio outside of just obviously the, what you were pursuing with video journalism. But you were you're, you're, you were published in the Huffington Post, if I remember correctly, when you were in college. You were on the cover. One of your articles with, uh, with Rivals.com was on the cover of Yahoo Sports at one point. And this is all while you were in college leading up. So I remember, you might remember this, but a 2013, when you graduated from college, your first first agent got signed out of school was your younger brother, Mark Spiewak. Of course. It was going to be the big, <laughs> big promise to promote you to the masses of the market. That's um, right. And yeah. one of the things that was very attractive about you as a potential hire was the fact that you were kind of this obviously versatile reporter, but what, what was in the term that they called you more of like a backpack reporter, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. And that was kind of the way, that's just kind of the way it is now too, where you, yeah, you kind of are expected to know how to do everything. So you have to, depending on where you work, you have to, you have to know not only just how to write and present the story, but also shoot the video, do the editing. You kind of have to be multi-skilled with that, like pretty much throughout the industry. I ran into our high school journalism teacher, who was also the lead of our paper, uh, Miss Murphy, formerly known as Miss Brady. And we ran into each other just a few weeks ago. And she to this day, I think about her all the time because I have a newsletter for Spiewak Training and poor Noah, who is our amazing marketing running coach on our staff who has taken over the newsletter for us. He gets an earful from me every single time we're about to publish something because I'm like marking this up, marking that up. And I just remember Miss Brady was all about doing it the right way. And it was never, mm-hmm. there were no shortcuts with her. She was so about the fundamentals of reporting, which was, mm-hmm. you know, we were kind of in a weird era because I feel like cell phones were around, but they didn't have the smart features that they do now, um, especially, mm-hmm. and they probably never, not until you got to college that, that, that they had that because later high school, I think was when, was when you could actually start to access like Facebook on your phones and things like that for myself. But I remember... Mm-hmm like you specifically because you were my sports editor when I was a sports writer my freshman and sophomore year on the Panorama newspaper. You did not allow me to message people uh, <laughs> online for questions. Like I wasn't allowed to Facebook message anybody after hours or anything. Like you made me stand outside of the locker room and I yeah, had to... Yeah, get the man on the street interviews. Yeah, yeah. and I had to interview. <laughs> I remember being 14 years old waiting yeah. for the Ladue basketball high school varsity team yeah. to walk out of the <laughs> locker room to interview interview them and yeah. just being terrified because it was like one of the most, yeah. you know, uh, you know, it, when you're a freshman and you're having to talk to yeah, them, you varsity, that's a big deal. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and I remember asking just probably the lamest questions like, how do you, how do you feel about your, uh, your sophomore season? And what have yeah. you worked on in the off season or whatever the case was, but you were so adamant about it. And I remember one time, uh, I tried to do it a different way and you got really upset with me, but I think that was all driven back to just kind of how Ms. Brady taught us. And that kind of stuck with us for, for years and years to come, but now you're full circle in your career. How much yeah. of those early on fundamentals of your reporting days, just even in high school and what you learned, uh, have kind of created you into the journalist you are today? Yeah, you know, that's a really good way of looking at it because it is those little things where, you know, if you took the easy way or just kind of took shortcuts, you don't learn those basic skills and things. So like when you're in a controlled environment, like at the high school or something, it's like, it is important to go out and like, instead of just like sending a message to the point guard on the team or whatever, actually having to kind of get out of your comfort zone and like go interview him with a tape recorder or something. Cause I end up doing stuff like that every day. And it's still kind of awkward. Like even when I'm doing what I have to interview somebody about what they think about like 
axes or something. And I have to walk up to him in a park, which is a story that happens every once in a while. I still feel a little awkward about it, but you kind of just get so many repetitions. It's almost like playing a sport where you just practice, 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 and it kind of comes second nature. So whether it was Miss Smurphy um, or Don Goble on the TV side, just sort of, um, they kind of instilled those values of, um, of, of just kind of like the basic journalism stuff, the basic writing, the basic reporting skills and getting out of your comfort zone was a big one and talking to people that maybe you normally wouldn't talk to. And when you're in high school, that might just mean a different circle of people, a different circle of friends, a different grade, but you get out in the real world and it's just basically, you're always talking to somebody that uh, you wouldn't normally encounter kind of in your everyday life. And so that's what I, that's what I really like about it. And it did kind of all start back, uh, back then in high school. And then you chose to obviously go to the University of Missouri for their journalism school, which is obviously one of the best in the country. And they obviously have taught, probably taught you so much where you are today. But did you feel like you had a leg up maybe in some ways just because of what you had learned kind of going in prior to college? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And all the experience kind of builds on, it, on itself, too, I think, because it was kind of like then you get to college and then that stuff's not all completely new. So you're learning these new concepts about shooting and editing and writing. And you're like, yeah, I kind of know how to do that. And you do have a little bit of just a base that you can build on. And it just kind of you just kind of keep doing it and keep doing it. And it's those repetitions and the practice and you keep doing stories and you're going to mess up a lot. You're going to make mistakes, but you just kind of build year over year. And you kind of refine your skills and polish them. And, and, uh, Mizzou is great too. Is very hands on. It's kind of, that's the whole thought process behind what they call the Mizzou method. Um, is that you're, you're not sitting necessarily in a classroom. You are, I mean, sometimes, but it's, you're not going to learn the most just sitting and listening to somebody tell you how to do the job. You got to actually go out and do it. Um, so it's almost in that regard, um, it's way more hands on than it is like just thinking about it. You have to just go out and do it. What were some of your favorite highlights when you were at Mizzou? I remember you working the, uh, I want to say the overnight shift, I want to say at one yeah. point, maybe your sophomore yeah. junior year. Yeah, did some overnight shifts. And, and for people that aren't familiar, Mizzou, they actually have the NBC affiliate for Columbia, Missouri, Jefferson, Columbia, Jefferson City, which is basically run partially by students. So you work at a real NBC affiliate, KOMU TV. And yeah, I did uh, like overnights where I was driving the live truck, which was scary. That was really hard. <laughs> Trying to set up the live shot and driving the big van, uh, you know, at three in the morning to get the to get the show on the air, producing, reporting, anchoring, just kind of doing. That was a nice thing too, is you could do every job, and then you figure out what you like and what you're good at. And uh, yeah, it was a, it was a good experience. And up to that point, you know, you obviously started to become pretty focused, obviously, on the video journalism side of things. But in college, you were still dabbling with the radio side. I remember you being on the radio mm -hmm. there and then obviously doing writing because obviously yeah. you just mentioned with the Huffington Post and, and rival sports. But you were actually able to cover some NCAA tournaments and then obviously the mm -hmm. classic Missouri Valley Basketball Conference tournament course, every yeah. year here in, yeah. in St. Louis uh, at the Scott Trade Center. That was something that was really important for you you at that period of time. Can you share a little bit more about that experience while, because you were obviously leaning in one direction with, okay, this is where my career is going, but you still never yeah. gave up on the other side of things that maybe you possibly consider more of the hobby of the job. Yeah. Yeah. I did a lot of radio with uh, the student radio station uh, at Mizzou. And then we were able to do like, I did like broadcasting of games. So we would, Mizzou basketball, we would do, I would do three or four games a year just with that. Uh, and then on the writing side, I just always tried to find a freelance opportunity. So whether it was the different blogs or Huffington Post, I think they maybe picked up a story I wrote once or something. Basically, whether it was doing Power Mizzou, which was a, uh, the Rivals affiliate, which a lot of people probably are familiar with, with Gabe Diarman, 
I worked for him in college and, and yeah, it was, um, it was always a hard thing. Cause I just, I was so passionate about covering sports and it was hard because I, and I like to stay in that world. So I covered, yeah, like a lot of, um, you know, I go cover the big 12 tournament when Mizzou was in the big 12, even when they left, but out in Kansas city or every year in Missouri Valley. Cause we went, we grew up going to that every single year. Got to watch our dad's alma mater, Drake. But anyway, it was just kind of staying connected or covering games with in the Midwest. I'd go everywhere from, a, I went to a game at Creighton once, Missouri State, a lot of um, regional games. And and it was hard because I really just, I loved doing that. But it was hard, at least for me, because it felt sometimes when I was covering the games, it kind of took the joy out of the sport for me. But it's, you know, you get you get free entrance into all the games. You get, you get a lot of perks and it's amazing to be able to cover a lot of that stuff. But it got to the point where it felt like going to work and I didn't like that because I just liked the joy of the game and then not having that pressure. It was nice to the separation of kind of the job and then um, the sport. Um, but that was just that was just me, at least. For anybody that's ever been to the uh, Missouri Valley Basketball Tournament, it's uh, it, not much of a crowd, I would say, <laughs> by the last. Yeah, it used to be back in the day when Creighton and Wichita, Wichita State, State were yeah. in it. I mean, it was that place was rocking, like mid two thousands, but. But yeah, what, towards the end of uh, now nowadays, it's a little bit more quiet. But I remember you would go up into the wouldn't you wouldn't you go into the upper deck where there would be no fans and you'd have a tape recorder and you would you would record yeah. yourself. Yeah, I did that, I did that a couple <laughs> times. Well, I read it. Uh, did, you ever heard of uh, Dick Enberg? Yeah, um, yeah. Remember Dick Enberg? Rest in peace. He he wrote in his book once that he did that, where he went up to the crowd. He said he went up to the, some baseball game and he he announced himself on a tape recorder. So I decided I was going to do that. So I went up and I don't think it was very good, but it, that tape recorder is I've got it somewhere. I got to go back and listen to it. But it's uh, yeah, I did that at least once or twice. Well, it's all that. It's kind of like when you're in the backyard as a kid playing sports and you do trick shots yeah. or different things and it becomes like yeah. why you're better at the sport in itself because you do this stuff in the backyard. This is kind right. of yeah. what you were doing with your journalist career, uh, which yeah. would fast yeah. forward you, obviously, to your career heading off to, to Buffalo, New York, where you I feel like you actually had an opportunity there to kind of be a part of a, a really fun station where you were able to do some mm -hmm. kind of hard hitting press news and then also be around Bill's Mafia and the excitement of uh, Buffalo and with Niagara yeah. Falls there and everything. How was that experience, just just being a part of that station? Buffalo was a great news market because it was, uh, it's just a, um, it's just a hard-nosed town. People are really down to earth. They're really real. It reminds me of St. Louis, actually, in a lot of ways. Just people are not pretentious in Buffalo and hardworking and just solid, good people that will embrace you when you're there. And and it was new, like growing up in St. Louis and going to Mizzou. I'd never been to Buffalo. I didn't know a ton about it. But New York State is beautiful. Buffalo is a beautiful area. And there was a lot of hard news. There was a lot of politics, a lot of city council, a lot of stuff like that. And it was kind of a great way to start my career because I kind of really cut my teeth on covering a lot of harder news. And it was fast paced. And people really cared about the news there in kind of a local community. Again, kind of like St. Louis, where a lot of people in Buffalo or from Buffalo. They have roots there. And they were excited. I think a lot of times when I said I moved to Buffalo, they weren't at the time necessarily used to having people moving to the city. And it was at a time when the city was was really kind of coming alive and there were a lot of good things happening at the time. And, and it was kind of a resurgence of the city, so to speak. And it was kind of a, it was a fun time to be there and be part of that from they give about five years, 2013 to 2018. 
And you met a lot of friends there. Obviously, met your your wife Callan there, yeah. uh, working at another station. So that that was uh, obviously yeah, the most very, important. Yeah, yeah, very valuable move on your end to to be able to be yeah. <laughs> uh, to get there, and obviously now to to be married to her. But then I also remember you didn't you know you didn't particularly make a lot of friends sometimes with some of your stories. You were not afraid <laughs> to to go after people and hold people accountable in local government and different things like that, which I always very very much admired. Knowing your high school football days, I think a lot of people. Right, I always kind yeah. of thought you were a little bit soft because you're uh, <laughs> you're you're kind of you know low, yeah. low, low key nice guy whatever the case is and they forget you have this little uh, switch to you which I watched <laughs> I think it was against St Mary's was it in high school with a guy yeah. who clipped you when you were running downfield you turned around and you chased him off to his sideline uh, <laughs> and, and other times fighting yeah. guys in practice and different stuff I don't think anybody <laughs> would actually believe that from you kind of knowing who you are but you know you were never afraid obviously to to kind of have that edge to you as a reporter and and I just would love to kind of hear what what kind of molded you into being that 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 person because I, I'm sure that took a lot of courage yeah. to be able to stand by your story yeah and the the station was all about that our station channel two was it was called holding people in power accountable and they'd kind of made their name on on going after people that were in power basically the politicians people making decisions and our job was kind of to be there as the watchdog and they'd really made a name for themselves doing that. So it was kind of, it was almost like coming into a program, like a, again, to kind of do this sports analogy, it was kind of like coming into a program that plays great defense or has some kind of identity. If it's a basketball program, they play, they're going to play great man-to-man defense and that's what they're known for. And you have seniors on the team that have been doing it for four years and you come in, it's kind of like that. You come in and a lot of my colleagues were, that was just what they were committed to. So when there was a big proposal at the city council that was going to cost taxpayers some sort of money or just anything you can think of that people, viewers were going to care about, then we were kind of the ones that were there asking questions. And it didn't come nat- naturally to me necessarily because I'm not, like you mentioned, I'm not, I mean, I'm not naturally a confrontational person. So that my personality, just like in general, regular life, I'm not probably going to be someone pestering somebody with a question. But when I'm in, in the job, on the job, um, it was a little bit easier to kind of um, adapt to that because that was kind of what our station required and it was I was kind of blending in with, with the the other work that my colleagues were doing and and it was good to be able to whether it was a political scandal or if there there was always something happening there. There was a lot to cover and it it was good because it, it also made me realize that I could have a separation between what I was doing at work and then what I was doing at home. So it wasn't I wasn't the same personality on the job as off. Um, but it was nice to kind of have that separation. And then after leaving Buffalo, that led you to, to Minneapolis. So you Callan move there now. It's, I mean, it's been several years. You're yeah, working with five years, with, yeah. uh, with Care 11 there at the NBC station mm-hmm. in Minneapolis, St. Paul, uh, which just uh, has tons of respect here here in St. Louis. Actually, a lot of people that find out that, the, that you work there, if they know the station, they know a lot of good things about it. And mm-hmm. then you've obviously had very similar opportunities than you've had in Buffalo. But what I find unique about this transition part of your career is that this is what the time of your life now where you're starting to kind of bring back some of those things that you were doing um, mm-hmm. prior to your video journalism career, what you were doing in college and high school from the writing side of things. And it was a few years ago that you published your first book, which was through um, uh, your, your publisher. Remind me the name of it. 
Uh, Roman and Littlefield. Yeah, Roman and Littlefield. They picked you up for a book, uh, which uh, Danny will talk a little bit more about. But the inspiring piece behind it for us is that our grandfather was a part of the University of Minnesota Gophers football team. And he was a member of the 1941 uh, National Championship team. And Danny kind of had this uh, always an interest, I think. I think all of us did have a little bit of curiosity about what that team was and, and who who were the players. And, and we didn't, I mean, we, we knew obviously our grandpa, we didn't know him for very long. So just being able to do the research that you were, you were able to kind of bring that story to, to tail and you found out a lot of different things. Can you share more about that book? Yeah. Yeah. And that was a cool, that was a really cool thing about having happening that we moved from Buffalo to Minneapolis because like you had been to Minneapolis because you'd run Twin Cities and you'd been here before, but I'd never been here, but this is where our grandparents grew up. This is where Papa Jack and Mimi Verge lived and lived and grew up their whole life before moving right after World War II. And so the, I was actually, the fact that I moved back here to where we had roots and family, it was pretty amazing. And so then I just kind of, kind of, as I was here, I was, I was actually in my element in the Twin Cities and it was like, okay, that's where Papa Jack, that's his street, you know, driving into work and that's where he grew up and that's his old neighborhood. And he played football for the U of M and it just, all these things started clicking. And I think it was mom and dad and I were having dinner here. And mom, mom, I think was the one that said, you could write a book about that full team in 1941, you know, that, that Papa Jack was a freshman on, because at the time he couldn't play varsity, but he was a member of the freshman team, but just a book about what, first of all, just, they won the national championship in 1941 as the top team in college football undefeated. And then Pearl Harbor happened two weeks after the season. So what happened to all those guys? Where did they end up serving? What was the story behind that season? And it, it just kind of took off from there. And that was pretty, that was pretty shortly after I moved here that we started talking about that. And then I started researching probably in about late 2018, 2019. And it all kind of came together. I started finding family members from other players on the team, started doing research in the newspaper archives at the History Museum, and um, just finding any book or article or journal that I could find that was from that era, game programs, the University of Minnesota had a ton of stuff. And it all just kind of came together. And I just started putting together what kind of started to resemble a book. And uh, and that's uh, kind of how it came out. 2021 is when it was released. It was uh, from the gridiron to the battlefield. Minnesota's march to a college football title and into World War II was the title of it. Um, so that was a that was a fun experience, especially with our personal connection to it. Yeah. And it was fun to just kind of see what kind of what evolved from you bringing that book out. I mean, I think that was something that, like you said, just started as kind of a dinner conversation and something out of curiosity. But then for you to be able to find out that these players had such powerful stories and then to be able to really inspire the community because there are a lot of people who saw their family members being highlighted and different things like that. Obviously, a lot of these families did not know who our grandfather was or, or had no recollection of those players, but everybody kind of had a personal touch to their grandfather being a part of that era. And I'm sure that was just super rewarding for you to be able to bring people's relative stories to the forefront for them. Yeah. And it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool too, because uh, like the 1941 team, obviously they were the national champions. There was their second year, second straight national championship. And then of course they went and Pearl Harbor happened two weeks after the season. Um, so the book is really the story of that season and the amazing time in which they played the success in the field and then the war. And what happened after that. Um, but really like at that era, like before World War II, the Gophers were, I mean, they were like the dynasty. They were like a Georgia and Alabama that you would think of today. Like they were five national championships in eight seasons across the country. They were known as the 
top program in the country by by a lot of people. Um, so that doing the book was fun because it sort of awakened memories from whether it was kind of people with their memories of their parents talking about those teams or for the people that are in their 90s. I've actually run into some people or had gotten some notes from people that said I was in sixth grade when that 1941 team was playing or I we were all gopher fans. It kind of awakened this sort of this long like throwback era of Minnesota football that I didn't even really know fully existed. And so I started researching the book. What was most fulfilling for you just having a book published and especially one that had such personal ties for you? I think that's a good question. I I think it was really kind of that idea that it was preserved in print. Like here's this here's this uh, team of however many players it was, um, including our grandfather. And here, here it was just kind of that idea that it was now preserved like for a future generation. So 50 years from now, somebody's just randomly walking through the library. It's kind of a cool feeling to think that they could pick up this book. They could read about this era because there'll be a time where the, I mean, almost now at this point, it's really hard sometimes to find a World War II veteran, but especially as the generations go on, it's going to get deeper and deeper into history. So the idea that it can be preserved and left around for people in the future is, is kind of a cool thing. And with you, obviously, I've brought this up multiple times, but you're now with your focus now being on video journalism and the reporting aspect of it. Now you've kind of lit that fire again on the writing side, which is really exciting. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people yeah. close to you are are fired up about it. And I know your wife is and your family members are just because um, we all enjoyed reading your stuff when whether it was from the uh, smaller publications of those uh, online sports media platforms that I don't know how you found or <laughs> all the way up to <laughs> some of the stuff that you did that was obviously more notable but you know this book comes out and it probably gave you a lot of confidence that there could be more done but your publisher actually gave you another opportunity to to publish another book can you share yeah. a little bit more about how the legacy of charlie pete and a life cut short was written and mm-hmm. and what what we can expect uh to read and, and be excited about when yeah. it comes out in march yeah so yeah basically like as you mentioned i finished the first book and we we're trying to think of new ideas for a second book and um, you know, I, I did the fun thing about the first book is it was based here where I'm living now and where we have family connections. Um, but I knew I wanted to do something St. Louis related or, or something that was kind of like um, didn't necessarily have to be Cardinals, but I wanted to do something that was maybe more to St. Louis for my second book. And I just this um, this story of this and, and a lot of people out there listening are probably diehard Cardinals fans. who have probably never heard the name Charles Pete. Charlie Pete is what he was typically called the Charles or Charlie Pete. Basically, he he was a um, an outfielder for the Cardinals in 1956. So he played with Musial. He played kind of that era between championships. That it was it wasn't the 60s when you've got three pennants, but it was kind of right before like right right before that era. Anyway, his name is Charles Pete, um, and um, I had heard kind of because there have been some articles written about him over the years. He was basically the top prospect on the team. He was going to be the starting center fielder the next season. Um, and he was killed in a commercial plane crash. He was he was going to Venezuela for a winter baseball league over the season after his rookie year, and he was killed in a plane crash. And so it was like he was in a, in a lot of ways it was kind of like what you think of with Oscar Tavares. It was the same situation. It was just a tragic story, and I'd kind of heard about it, and I thought, well, no one's ever really done that story. No one's ever told his story before, and I thought that could be an interesting book idea. And it really built on itself because. Learning not just uh, what he was like as a player. Obviously, he was the AAA batting champion. So he was going to, he, he really could have been that next star for the St. Louis Cardinals. And obviously, everybody knows the Cardinals have such a storied history. 
that he could have been, he could have really been anything. He was such a talented player. But then finding out really his role in integrating the franchise, you know, talking about the 50s, you're talking about St. Louis, which is very much a Southern city at the time and had that Southern mindset was very, very slow to integrate just in terms of life. And the Cardinals too were, were slow to catch on this is 10 years after Jackie Robinson, um, you know, breaks the color barrier with the Dodgers in Brooklyn. And Charlie Pete was a huge part of bringing the Cardinals into a new era. And a lot of the adversity, the racism that he faced at the time as a minor leaguer and a major leaguer, a lot of adversity that he overcame to became to become a great baseball player just made his story that much more important. So, um, so yeah, that that's how I kind of got into that. Cardinal Dreams is the name of the book, the, light, the legacy of Charlie Pete and a life cut short. So I spent a couple of years working on that and, uh, and it'll be out in March. How does somebody write a book about somebody who virtually has nothing out there about them? And then especially during a time where there really wasn't a lot of media and mm-hmm. like, can you talk a little bit more about that process yeah. and what it took to be able to bring his story to, to paper? Yeah. And that, that's another great question because that, that was one of the things in the beginning where I was like, you know, should I tackle this? Because there was so, like you mentioned, there was so little information about him because so little has been done. You know, there, 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 and, and, and it's a horrible story because his wife and his three kids were killed in the same plane crash. It was, uh, uh, killed 25 people. And so there aren't, there aren't really like direct descendants or people that you can reach out to, to have those personal stories about them. So when I first started, I thought, how am I going to find those nuggets of information? And I had to work to really find where things had been preserved. And so like the hall of fame in Cooperstown, has like what I found to be one of the best documents was kind of a questionnaire that he filled out during the 1956 season. And he wrote a lot about his family. He wrote about how after he played after baseball, he wanted to go into a business career. He wrote about his kids. He wrote about his that Stan Musial was his favorite player. All these things were kind of like hidden in history. Um, but I was able to find that from the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. And then just all the all newspaper articles, whether it was going through the Post-Dispatch or what was the Globe Democrat back in the day, or a lot of the archives at the actually downtown at the Central Library in St. Louis. And then a lot of the other newspapers from the different places he played in the minor leagues, whether it was Omaha, Nebraska, or where he was born in Virginia. It just all started to come together. And then I actually went out to his hometown in Portsmouth, Virginia, which is near Virginia Beach. And ended up interviewing a lot of people that grew up with him. And and he grew up under Jim Crow segregation laws in Virginia. And the black community in Portsmouth, Virginia is very, very prideful of him. There's still a little league named after him, uh, like a baseball youth league. And they were awesome out there in just terms of finding people for me to interview. And even people that like kind of older people in their 80s and 90s who actually remembered him and knew him and coached with him when he was playing baseball and football growing up. And those were the things that even if it wasn't direct family members there that were talking to me, it was friends and people that were connected to the community. And and that kind of helped me figure out how he was shaped in coming to be a major league player. How many days did you spend out there in Virginia? I was there for about three days. So yeah, two or three days. So uh, it was fun just to be able to see the area, talk with people that knew him, visit the little league. Uh, that was a, that was a fun experience. Yeah. What, so obviously he he filled out a questionnaire with the that you'd found through the MLB Hall of Fame. But you know what do we what do we know or what can you share um, that's not giving away too much of the story mm-hmm. to people uh, about his personality and what what drew so much attention to him outside of just being a great baseball player. Yeah. He 
he was known as a, an extremely disciplined athlete. He was a great, he was a, he was a, um, he, he was just, he was an all, he was just a well-rounded, great baseball player in terms of on the field that, you know, what you would call a five tool player that he was really, he was an outfielder, center fielder, uh, at least when he got to the major leagues. But he, um, you know, he, he basically um, was able to get what was from early minor leagues. And, and in the beginning, in the beginning of his career, he was really barred from playing in the organized minor leagues because even though Jackie Robinson had come into the majors, it was still in, in most organizations, at least half of them wouldn't allow black players on, on any of the teams in the minor leagues. So he started his career in the Negro leagues and then he continued on and played in the minor leagues, um, finally helping to integrate one of the middle-class Virginia minor leagues. And then he was drafted by the Cardinals organization in 1954, right after the Cardinals had broken the color barrier and came in at a really critical time and played in Rochester, New York, played in Omaha, Nebraska. And then eventually when he was called as the Cardinals in 56. Um, but getting back to your question, which is what kind of person he was, he was known as uh, very... You know, very talented, very disciplined player. Um, but he was, he was also known to be more quiet. He was kind of one of those let, let his actions speak rather than his words. And he was very religious. He didn't smoke or drink, uh, but very focused. And I think from the beginning of his career, he always had the goal in mind of playing in the major leagues. And he was able to accomplish that um, uh, through, through a lot of adversity. But it was an incredible journey of, of where he came from and, and what he ended up doing in St. Louis. But yeah, so I, that legacy that I just felt like had never really been put out there um, was kind of the point of the book to try to preserve that. And so you write you write the book and then obviously you're now in the production process where this book will be released in March where people can purchase it. And uh, I'm sure there'll be a number of places where people will be able to get it, whether that's through online or local distributors. But what was the reaction after after you wrote it and kind of put that in front of your publishers and other people mm. who maybe had some stake in the game with the book? Mm. Yeah. It's been, the reaction's been really good. I think people, uh, whether I've talked to people that are involved in Cardinals fans or just athletics or just baseball or people out in Virginia that know his name um, because of how prominent he is where he grew up, um, people have been excited to hear that there's something being done on him. You know, that there's a, there's, that I was able to kind of dig deep on, on who he was and where he came from and then just the great potential that he had as a player, um, which, was in the beginning, I think I really tried the, the book when I first gravitated towards it was this idea that um, his life had been cut so short, so tragically. Um, but as I started writing it, um, you know, a lot of the book became just about what he accomplished while he was while he was alive. And there was so much to what he did, despite how tragic his life ended um, at such a young age. He really left a mark in baseball, in life, in society. And that's what's been nice to, to get the feedback from people that have been excited about it, um, especially from those that knew him um, and the people that I interviewed in Virginia that grew up with him um, and were so excited to see him in the major leagues all those years ago. Um, it's been fun to kind of get their reaction to the book. And so you write a book. You obviously have a push. You have a publisher. You're in that process. You've done this before. But, you know, what what happens after that? Like, how, do, how does it? it it's honestly, I know a lot of people have now nowadays gone the self-publishing route. And so I think the process is probably very confusing for people or unknown for those that haven't gone through it. But can you share a little bit more about what that experience is like? Yeah. Yeah. With the publisher, it's um, I, I really liked working with my publisher. They're, they're considered, I guess you'd call them like an academic press. So they're based in outside of D.C. And they do a lot of history uh, and when they do sports, they do like sports history and politics and things like that. 
And that was getting, getting, getting to work with them. Yeah. You have to send in a proposal for the book. I did that for both of my books. Um, you send in a proposal and then they have a board that looks at it and has to accept it. If they like the idea, you can move forward. So I like that because I liked working with kind of the traditional side, but it can take longer. I know some people like the self-published route just because they kind of have more control over it. Um, then of course you kind of have to upfront cost everything if you're self-publishing, but it just depends on the kind of book you're looking for, the timetable. This was a perfect fit for me, just having a an academic press and having my editors to work with and oversight and kind of a like editorial reviews. That stuff really was helpful for me. And so that kind of how that shakes out. And then when it comes out in March, then it's just kind of a matter of doing different talks, whether it's virtual or in person, um, just uh, kind of getting the book out there and, and just trying to get it uh, in front of as many people as possible. And this might be a little bit of a, I don't know if a vague question or a hard one to answer, but like, what would you say your specific goals are with this book? Because I felt like with your first book, it was kind of to share this personal tie to write about something that was in the town that you're living in. And then obviously to, to, to be able to put your words on print for the first time in a book setting. But now that you have established yourself as a successful author, and then now pretty much hitting, I would say, a market of, of people that potentially could be buying this, not just from one region, but kind of throughout the entire United States, if not further, what, what is, what is the goal of Danny Spiewak in writing this? I would say probably because like we talked about the St. Louis connection was huge. And that, that was how I first came across. It was the Cardinals connection. And hopefully people that are connected to St. Louis or the Cardinals will be interested in it just because, because it is St. Louis based and it is something to celebrate in St. Louis, his legacy. And obviously, like I mentioned, it's a very sad ending, but um, but his life was such an inspiration. And so hopefully in St. Louis that that can be something that can be preserved. Um, but I think you're, you kind of hit the nail on the head um, just in terms of maybe try to broaden it out a little bit. The Minnesota Golden Gophers book was great and um, was really, really well known here. And I think people, college football fans or just fans of football in general liked it. But this one, I did try to write it a little more, a little more broad for more of an audience and when Charlie Pete, he played in so many different cities and he's, he made a mark in so many different areas of the country that I think people, even if you have no connection to St. Louis, my hope is that you can still find something in his journey of where he started um, when he was playing all the way from semi-pro b- baseball in Virginia, going through the Negro Leagues and then through the minor leagues and then all the way to the Cardinals organization. It kind of touches on all different types of baseball, especially at that time period. And so hopefully we'll have kind of a broader appeal to people. Do you think this is the type of book that it could potentially be in film one day? I don't know. <laughs> if somebody wants to tackle it, it is a pretty, it is a pretty incredible story and, and one that I just don't think a lot of people know about. Um, so it would, it would probably make a good documentary or something at some point. Yeah. I feel like a documentary at the very least. Yeah. To, I think a lot of, I remember there was a specific Twitter account through the St. Not through St. Louis Cardinals, but the St. Louis Cardinals uh, kind of fans that have kind of made themselves known as the more popular Cardinal fans on Twitter. Uh, then yeah. there's, there was one that tweeted about him several months yeah. ago and I didn't write anything cause I didn't want to spoil anything. And I'd also, 
also didn't <laughs> didn't want somebody else yeah. going and writing a book about him while you were while you're doing it. So I'm sure there's a sense of relief to be able to now be able to share his story. But I remember people responding to that and saying, "Wow, mm-hmm. like I wish I knew more about this," or uh, "or what a powerful story." Thanks for sharing. And so clearly, there's interest in it, and the hope I think would be that the St. Louis Cardinals take some type of um, interest and desire and wanting to to share it with their community as well, just because mm-hmm. uh, I think it's, it's such a powerful thing for the organization and such a powerful thing for the city. Yeah. Yeah. And they were kind enough to, they, they uh, allowed us to use some of the photos that they had because they had some photos and some scorecards and things that they kept on file, the Hall of Fame through the team, this Cardinals Hall of Fame, which a lot of people I'm sure listening have visited. So they still had some things and, um, and uh, yeah, it's just, I think it is, a, I just think it is a really important part of Cardinals history. And as you'll see in the book, it's not always flattering about the Cardinals at the time in the fifties, but, but, um, but it gets in, the book gets into like, you, you get through what of course the forties and fifties were like, and the Cardinals were really criticized for being really slow to get with the times on race relations. And when Gussie Bush, August Bush uh, Jr. and Anheuser-Busch take over the team, that changes. And that's when Charlie Pete comes in under this new regime that decides we're not going to, we're not going to do things the way we used to. And it was still, progress was really slow. It wasn't always good. And um, it, it wasn't always a pretty picture, but it was an important part of history. And that really became kind of a big part of the book when it came to Charles Pete. Well, it's, it's exciting to know that there's another book coming out. And um, I'm, I'm really pumped up about just having it here in St. Louis because um, obviously the last story was a personal connection through our family, but there was really no St. Louis specific tie to it where um, this book gives me a little bit of the little brother bragging rights uh, yeah. to some degree uh, and gets my, yeah. my opportunity to, to get my, my best sales pitch out there uh, for yeah. people. And you're, you're expecting a child here coming up. And so you, yeah. your, your yeah. father on the way. Uh, yeah. Which is which is really uh, was really exciting and really happy for you guys. Uh, do you, you. With now having two books and a kid on the way, I mean, man, there has to be some yeah. personal reflection that's been right. going on with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah I'm, I'm thinking that my next book is going to have to maybe stay on the sidelines for a little bit. I think I might be a little busy, but yeah, there's that's a lot going on. And for whatever like for whatever reason, it's all happening at once. So that definitely wasn't. Uh, I don't think I knew the book was going to come out in March, um, but uh, but it coming out for spring training, so it'll be perfect. So. And your birthday is just a few days after that, too. Yeah, that's right. March 12th. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Busy month. Well, I think it'd be really fun if we could get the baby down here in St. Louis. We could get uh, we can get some signings at some local local stores and uh, you know sure. really pump that out to people. Now, yeah. when you talk about me, do you always mention that I'm the most talented journalist in the family? Yeah, usually, usually. Well, people yeah. know that. They can tell. You know, <laughs> I mean, they can just tell. You just got that about you. But you know. You, I mean, I saw you in action back in the day, you know, I mean, we were, we were like a dynamic <laughs> duo on the newspaper, you know, like I saw, I saw it back then and you're still using, I feel like you're still using those skills and what you do now. It's different, but it's very similar, you know, just in what, in everything you've done and you've accomplished, I feel like a lot of that, some of that base does come from like a lot of what you do is writing and a lot of what you do is personal connections with people and stuff like that. So. What's really fun for me is Bill Smith, our producer here, He's he's got a huge, very extensive background in, in radio. And I had uh, been using an editor for several, a couple of years as I started my podcast. And then I was um, just kind of in search of somebody local to, to be able to, um, you know, yeah. to find somebody that maybe I could be doing some recording in person and, uh, you know, just up my game a little bit in terms of my podcast. And uh, running across him has been amazing because he's got, and for those of you listening, we're actually interviewing Dan. 
Danny by telephone through a radio board, which is just blows my mind. I think it's just so cool that we can do this. Uh, But just even hearing the sound and everything else like that. And my my itch for that, uh, you know, that desire to want to do the interviews and all those different things that uh, I always felt like that could have been a parallel path for me at some point is this is my way of kind of being able to do it just just through podcasts. And it seems like yeah. now in the world of journalism, a lot of people, I mean, especially as athletes, I mean, you see coaches are on podcasts now uh, during yeah. season. You're seeing these professional athletes they are all running. You see the Kelsey brothers. I mean, podcasts are so well known yeah. at this point and and such a big platform for people to be able to share their message and their story i mean it's it's been really fascinating and i'm sure it's kind of changed the game of journalism in a lot of different ways yeah 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 and you can go i just think it's cool because you can go directly to an audience and you can get you can find people that you wouldn't normally have heard and they get their voice out there and you can just yeah you can just you can go directly to people that are listening right on spotify or whatever it is Um, So I think it's been a good change. It's been it's been good to get more people exposure. You know, I think what's been, you know, really fun about watching your career kind of just change over the years, but also evolve is that in a lot of ways you haven't changed a ton. Like you still are the same passionate, uh, excited, I would say energetic person towards the work. I mean, I think you seem just as passionate about sharing people's stories and being dedicated to your craft as you were when you were in high school. Now you obviously have those skills that are um, a lot more polished and tuned up. But I think so much of it, going back to our conversation from earlier, goes to the beginning of your days of just the fundamentals. Um, You know, uh, there was a uh, documentary that ESPN did on the North Carolina State Miracle Team when they had the game winning shot under Jimmy V. And you might, did you Ever see that documentary that they had come out yeah, with and, huh? and i don't know if you remember that but uh was it his last name was whitman i think i, I forget his name what what his last oh, name was yeah Whitmer, but he yeah of course you knew it uh, he yeah. caught the ball <laughs> with two hands and made that yeah. pass and he said right he caught that ball with two hands because of everything he learned in this high school program that had taught yeah. him that here at the college level he's doing something by the fundamentals at the most Probably that, that I mean in his career, it's the biggest moment of his of his of his life in sports, and he does it the right way because of the way that he learned it. And I think so much about just those days of you being up at the the upper decks of Scott Scott Trade Center, announcing on your own yeah. to uh, to an audience of of no one on your tape recorder, yeah. or just the the writing that you've done, all those different things. I mean, I think your path can be very inspiring to 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 people that are kind of aspiring to go into journalism. But I think it's also a reminder especially as podcasts have become more popular and as just the world has changed with with everything in terms of print and radio media all that itself is that you have to have an angle you have to have skills um, and yeah. I'm sure this is something probably you're encouraging those that are trying to take this similar path to be thinking right you can't just just yeah. be a one-dimensional reporter anymore you've got to have right. a lot more to it yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I appreciate all that. And and I think that's so true. Like, it's just knowing knowing how to do more will always help. I think, I think that is good advice. Just never just thinking, I'm just this. And that goes for anything, whether it's journalism or anything else. Like, if you think about all the different ways you can help um, or all the different skills you can have, it only makes you, I think, a better person in the end. 
So is your uh, is your child going to be a Minnesota sports fan? Like, what's the what's that going to look like in the? I don't in the house? I don't know if that's possible. I mean, there's no way a kid will not be a Cardinals fan. You, know, uh, you would hope. Not, well, that's non-negotiable. So what about Callen? You know, I mean, Callen doesn't really yeah, have. She's a, okay with it. She grew up in New York, so she's a Yankees fan. She grew up in New York, but I've got her on board with Cardinals, and so we all went to that game. We went to Pujols and Yachty's last game. We brought Callen. It was her first experience with the Cardinals at the game and it get, opened her eyes to St. Louis baseball. So we're all on board with Cardinals. And I mean, we'll see what happens with the other teams. There, there's no Rams anymore in St. Louis. So it's like, could it be, I don't know, is it be Vikings or Bills? I mean, it's going to be kind of a tough choice. So. You, can, you can't root for the wild. You got to root for the blues. You got yeah, to be a blues fan. One. We can get yeah. in the NBA. We're still holding out hope for the Pelicans yeah, to come here. Cool. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, Blues versus Wild is the, yeah, that would be a bad one for, you know. It's a rivalry. It I mean, is, a, it is. People here don't like the Blues and people in St. Louis don't like the Wild, so it's it's got to pick a side on that one. It's, it's, no, it's it's well known for sure. Yeah, that's what I'm yeah. really just most curious about is what what way this the team, uh, the 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 family's going to lean yeah. for for sports and all yeah. the rest of things. And and let it be known on the Mission of Speed podcast that I think your next book should have something to do with you collabing with the person who runs the St. Louis Rams history page on Twitter. Yeah. You guys should link up right. and you guys should write a book together. That's uh, a great you know, idea. Or do some type of journalist print to You're put right. out there because right. I don't think anybody misses the dome as much as we do. Uh, yeah. You know, just those, those horrible, awful Sundays watching the Rams yeah. get the their ass kicked during the Linehan yeah. and Spadnagle right. days and all those right. just really bad teams. But there was still there was still a product yeah. on the field and, uh, you know, having an NFL team in our city. And it's been really yeah. cool to see what that page has done, because that I don't know who runs that Twitter, but I don't and I don't know how old that person is, because they have to mm-hmm. be somewhat near our age because they're really passionate about ninety five to 2014 yeah. Rams. Yeah. You would yeah, think that if they were. Topic. Yeah, 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 exactly. But <laughs> I, I wonder. I wonder what their what their motivation is and and what direction they want to go down. Because I think the stories that I want to know about are just about all those. Um, the, obviously, the greatest show on turf days are really exciting. Yeah. But I also would love to just kind of have somebody research into the tanking and what really yeah. was going on for those several years. Right. Because what happened in the end? Yeah, yeah. It's pretty funny because yeah. I'm, I'm I love getting a joy out of reading Rams Twitter right now. And yeah. just people are so upset they lost. They got <laughs> killed by the uh, the Packers yesterday. And there's uh, this guy named Seattle Rams on Twitter um, who's a good yeah. follow. He he says nice things about St. Louis when when they were here. That's but good. he's been a lifelong yeah. Rams fan. I guess he grew up in LA or something, uh, okay, but yeah. lives in Seattle. But he, uh, uh, I mean, yesterday they were just having a field day about how horrible <laughs> they are and about how the team wow. doesn't draft well and that they've uh, never drafted well and that this has just been a, a yeah. one hit wonder these last couple of years. And it's like uh, writing on the wall. Of course, you had yeah. <laughs> a few good years, you built a new stadium, and then they're doing yeah. the same old sorry ass Ram shit. <laughs> <laughs> you think you're over it you're like it's fine it's it's st louis has moved on and then but then those things come back and you're like it still stings a little bit it's still it's still hard it's still it's it was a hit to the psyche of the city so it's hard to get over so when you see things like that it, it all it brings back some memories to say the least well i think with bidwell he 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 had a demand that he wanted and it wasn't fulfilled and he left it was it was very much business move and obviously it made people mad at the time but with stan Kroenke, i mean i just think just the lying and dim off and all the rest of the things that kind of were led into that move uh that transpired mm-hmm. and also how deliberate 
that they were about it. About I never will forget, um, and I apologize to anybody listening to this because now this has just become a St. Louis Rams, uh, you know, uh, roast on uh, on this episode. But I will never forget when the Rams were about to they were about to leave the year before they left, and then they had they weren't able to get their ducks in order to be able to get um, Englewood set up to be able to get the vote and also to build a new stadium yet. So they had to come back for another year, and they were on a they were on a one year year one year deal with the with the dome. Uh, so it was like it was a year to year lease those last couple of years. And I'll never forget the first game of the year. You walked into the stadium, and the end zone was painted Rams with the blue and white, the old LA colors. Yeah. And I remember that, yeah, that just wrong. being the yeah. middle finger to us all, like we're yeah. here, but we're not here for very long. And that was a that was a wake up call. So it's yeah. it's fun to read your stories because. Uh, you know, and just hearing about this because obviously we're brothers, so we probably are interested in the same things when it comes yeah. to this. But I do think there's, a, there's this niche market of people who are very interested in the type of sports writing that you are doing because you're yeah. you're not tipi- you're not writing the traditional sports stories. You're writing mm-hmm. about the unknown things that people have no idea about, um, and yeah. you're finding you're basically finding ways to to share stories about things that almost seem impossible to do. Mm. There's got to be something. I think you're right. There's got to be something there with Rams, something related to Rams. And there's a lot. We didn't have a ton of time with them. What was it from 95 to so what? 2014 20, like 20 years? Yeah, I think it was 20 that, years on the nose. Yeah, that doesn't even when you say that out loud, it almost doesn't even seem real. Like that doesn't seem long enough. Um, but yeah, there's got to be something in there. Got to be something in there. Got to get the wheels turning. I think you're right. Well, I'll talk to Callan about it. See if there's any yeah, so, so extra time when too. the when the kid comes yeah. through. If uh, if you're <laughs> able to do that, well, yeah. uh, well, thank you for for coming on the the podcast, and I have never interviewed yeah, a family member, so uh, this was fun. Yeah, I'm telling you, this is just the highlight right here. This is great. <laughs> well, and I just want to let it be known, this is the first piece of St. Louis media that you'll do for the book. That's right. So yeah, that's right. When anybody yeah, you get the asks you, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I had the yeah, this was the first yeah. questions. Uh, you know, I wasn't. A afraid to to really go right. after it yeah and I, and I hope for you you know when this book does come out that you come back to st louis and that you're able yeah. to to do some book signings and get this in front of people yeah. there's a lot of people out there who are diehard cardinal baseball fans i mean they are they're yeah. like the packers in terms of they're falling yeah. everywhere so i do think that yeah. this is this book is going to be very intriguing for a lot of people and and just the component of just the history and and everything that charles pete stood for i think there's a lot of inspiring messages in it so um i'll get my wheels turning on the sales side of things and you you keep cool. writing the books and uh maybe we'll work together someday and we'll we'll, we'll do good. something as a collab this is this is why i call you my agent <laughs> yeah, i'm still still at it 10 years later so right oh yeah. man well thank you for for coming on the podcast and so now if somebody <laughs> wants to get this book i mean obviously it's not going to be out until early march but you can pre-order uh, right yeah, you can pre-order and pretty much anywhere the roman if you look up if you just look up the book cardinal dreams in my name or something it's on the Roman and Littlefield website, which is the name of the, you know, you can pre-order through them directly or it's on Amazon or Barnes and Noble or Walmart or basically anywhere you get a book, um, just look it up and you'll be able to pre-order it. And I was reading through the website, Bob Costas and Ozzy Smith mm-hmm. and a few other people had reviewed it. So that's, that's uh-huh. really inspiring. Yeah, that was really exciting, especially with their connections. I mean, Ozzy Smith, obviously with the Cardinals and Bob Costas is such a strong St. Louis connection. And then a couple of other people that are either connected to St. Louis, uh, authors, writers, um, Mark Tomasic with uh, RetroSemba.com. He does awesome Cardinals history. So he read it and, and enjoyed it. And that was nice of him to put a little blurb there. Uh, so 
So yeah, it, it was fun to kind of get the feedback from them too as they're starting to read it. So yeah, you're gonna have some some definitely good reviews starting off. It's not just uh, Nancy Spiewak and Bob Spiewak, uh, right? Yeah, and which Joe I hope Schmel. they give me a five star, but you know, you know, hopefully so. They'll probably attempt <laughs> yeah. to, but accidentally put one. Yeah. Or yeah, da- yeah. Dad just won't do it because he's afraid that he'll mess <laughs> it up. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. and then if somebody wants to follow you personally, I know you don't do a ton of social media, but you can follow Danny Spiewak, correct, uh, with your Twitter page. Yeah, Twitter or I do Instagram. I think Instagram is D Speedwalk. You just look up my name and I'm, yeah. And yeah, I think Facebook too. Just look up my name on any of those and uh, and you'll find me. Great. Well, we will make sure that this is included in our episode. And uh, looking forward to, to reading the book when it comes out in March. And we'll have to do an in-person studio uh, visit next time you're in town so that we can uh, share the yeah. story more. And maybe we'll even get a you reading a chapter or something. You we'll never do. know. That, uh, that sounds great. <laughs> so, well, thanks, man. We appreciate the cool. time as Thank always. Thank you.